0: This morning's scripture is taken from the book of Hebrews, the chapters 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13 and 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a great day for the University Church and for the school, and uh, we're looking forward to the opportunities that this week will afford to us, and we're already blessed with visitors this morning, and so we're delighted that you're here. I'm going to spend just a moment catching you up to speed on our theme for this year if you're visiting with us, and for those of you who are regular members, I'm going to remind you of some of the things that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. If you look around uh, at the walls, what do you see? Paint. Yeah, that's right. Paint. But on top of the paint, we have posters that remind us of our theme for the year, and uh, it, which is 2020 vision on, on the things that really matter. So we're really trying to hone our focus, our, our, our perspective this year in looking at things that truly do matter. I imagine we're the only church that thought of 2020 vision for 2020, but but it, I mean this this was just too good to pass up, and so it is appropriate, and 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 we are looking, no pun intended, we are looking at those things that that really do matter. We we started our, our discussion a few weeks ago. Can you believe it's already March? Uh, at the beginning of the year, talking about worldviews and how that our worldview will determine our values, uh, what we believe about. Well, everything, and and therefore how we behave, how we act in this world is going to be determined by whether or not we have a spiritual or a worldly worldview. If I believe that there's a God who created this, this universe and who put us here, that we are here to magnify and honor him and glorify him in everything that we do, if we believe that there is an afterlife, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, then we're going to act differently because we believe differently. Our perspective changes everything in life. But there are a lot of things that, uh, if you look at it, that we really have to, to be careful because if we, if we don't exercise great caution, we'll give in to the default position on certain matters. For example, I, if you're a regular member here, you know that I talk about this a great deal. I think it, our, our natural setting is negative versus positive. To be pessimistic rather than optimistic, and if you don't believe that, just watch the news. And so we have to be very careful that we don't have a negative attitude toward life. And also to look at uh, uh, at the world from a selfish perspective. If, I'm, if I have a worldview that is that is worldly and carnal in nature, then I'm going to be concerned only about me. Some of you are old enough to remember in the 1980s, there, there was one book that was on the New York Times bestseller list for three straight years. It was entitled Looking Out for Number One. I think that was a popular book because it appealed to that side of humanity of people who already wanted to validate the fact that they were looking out for number one and that was all god calls us to to be the servant of all he calls on us to look to the needs and 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 the aspirations of others even above our own and so that's kind of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, I, I, which brings us to our subject this morning. I think that one of the things we really have to be careful with, even as God's children, is, is the whole concept of gratitude versus discontentment. Even as God's children, and even if you've been a part of the kingdom of Christ for a long, long time, it's so very easy for a child of God to focus on, on what we need or maybe even on what we want rather than praising God for what we already have. Isn't that the truth? I mean, we have, we have to work on that. And, and sadly, we only set aside one small part of the year, we call it Thanksgiving, where we try to, you know, count our many blessings and name them one by one. But God says we need to be thankful people and we need to be contented people every day of our lives. And that's what Hebrews thirteen five that Leon just read a moment ago is all about. To be content with such things as we have. I think that's a great challenge for a modern man. Just as much as it was, perhaps more so than it was in the first century. Because we live in a very materialistic culture and you know that and I know that. And so we began to start thinking if I had just I had more money I could accomplish my dreams. You know, if I had a bigger house, I'd be happy. If I had more talent, if I had a better personality, if I just knew the right people, how far I could go. Man, I could really do something great with my life if I had all of those resources. But as long as as we feel that we're that we're somehow shortchanged, then we'll always make excuses for being less than our best. And most important, less than what God has in mind for us. And, and I hope that you realize that that is the matter of paramount importance, doing what God would have us to be doing with our lives. And so what we have to do is to, to sharpen or, or maybe completely change our focus, our perspective, how, how we're looking at things and how we're, how we're looking at life. Think of it this way. God has given you exactly what you need for this season of your life. I'm going to say that again because that's the premise of this lesson. God has given you exactly what you need for this season of your life. Now, I'm going to prove that biblically to you this morning, or at least I'm going to attempt to. By the way, I can remember thinking about this when our kids were small and uh you know there was a lot of little feet sticking under our table at every meal time and some doom and gloomer would come up to either mia or me and and of course if they if it was me i had an opportunity to to respond but uh, they would say very ominously just wait till they're teenagers as if they were predicting the parental apocalypse you know what i'm talking about and i can remember having enough insight even in those days to think I'll be happy to wait. I I, I am not ready to be the dad to teenagers yet. Our hands are filled with toddlers. But I'm convinced that God will equip us when that time comes. You see what I'm talking about? So we can't look ahead, we can't look back and say what if. We've got to realize and have faith that God is, is going to equip us and provide for us what we need at this moment in our lives. I think that's a great challenge. I struggle with it, and I sense that others do as well. And so, back to the matter of personal perspective. You have to, if, you, if you, you have the talents, you have the friends, you have the connections, you have the resources, you have the experience that you need for right now, for this moment in your life. And that doesn't mean that that's all you're ever going to have because you may need more next month and you may, may need more resources and, and, and all of these things next year. But, but when that time comes, have faith that God will be sure that you have more then. Now here's the Bible for that. Psalm 34 verse 10, a very short but insightful psalm. And, and it caught my attention just a few weeks ago as I was reading through the psalms and it kind of just sprung out at me because it was it was so meaningful to me at that point in my life and still is those who trust in the lord will never lack any good thing now that's a rather sweeping promise isn't it those who trust in the lord will never lack any good thing that means because your trust is in the lord not anything this world has to offer the psalmist is saying you don't have to worry you don't you don't have to sweat it it also means that if you don't have it right now then don't worry about it don't be discouraged because you may not need it right now you may want it right now but those are two entirely different things wanting it and needing it at this moment can can be completely on the opposite ends of the spectrum and james reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variables nor shadow of turning that's a powerful passage every good I think we're pretty locked down on what the word good means. Anything that is good for us, of a benevolent nature, God provides. The Father of lights gives that to his people. Every perfect gift. Usually the word perfect in scripture has to do with completeness and not just perfection the way we think of perfection. And and that I think is true of James 1 and verse 17. So every gift that God gives to us is also complete. Think about that for a moment. I heard about a teenage boy who always wanted an electric guitar. In fact, his, his dream was to have a Fender Telecaster. And so one Christmas, when he was 17, his parents got him that electric guitar of his dreams. With it came a note that said, if you use this, next year we'll buy you an amplifier. That is not a complete, perfect gift. God answers our prayers completely. He gives us every good thing that we need. He gives it to us completely so that we're not lacking. And always remember, despite how you may feel about yourself at the moment, God was not not having a bad day when he made you. I'm here to remind you this morning that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you need to glory in that fact because we serve a great God. Now, let's talk for just a moment about the distribution of talents as per Scripture. Have you heard the expression, the insult, really, that whenever God was handing out the talent, the looks, the brains, the personality, or or whatever, he or she was standing behind the door? You've heard that. And you know that it is not intended to be complimentary. But biblically speaking, that isn't true. It never has been true. It never will be true. Biblically speaking, God's word says that God has given to every person at least one talent. You may think that you're the person who is completely bereft of talents. I'm here to argue with that. God's word says that everybody has been given at least one talent, one ability. And if you've read the parable of the talents over in Matthew 25, you know that each of those three servants, before the master left the country, he gave to one one and to another two and to another five. So everybody got somewhere between one and five. None of them was left, left off the assembly line when the gifts were being distributed by the master. And we have to appreciate that. That's one of the major takeaways of Matthew 25. Nobody was left off the assembly line. He gave to every one of them at least one talent. And, and if you follow the, the parable to the end, you'll see that the two and the five talent servants doubled their talents. Now we're talking major responsibility and major talent as well. That just means that if you're, you're, if you're tired of being just a one or a two-talent Christian, then guess what? Use what you have. And God will give you more. I think that's one of the takeaways of Matthew 25 as well. And also in Romans 12, if you want to flip over there very quickly, when Paul discusses the many members, one body concept in the first part of the chapter, he lists seven potential gifts in verses 6 through 8 that really ought to help us to find ourselves somewhere on that list. I'm just saying, if you're struggling as a child of God this morning, Maybe especially as a brand new Christian of finding what your gift is, what your spiritual talent is that you can use in kingdom service to the glory of God, you can probably find yourself somewhere in verses 6 through 8 of Romans chapter 12. Seven talents there that are can be exercised in a non-miraculous way. And if you back up to verse 3 of Romans 12, you see how God chose to distribute those talents. Here's what it says, For I say, Through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You know, that's usually the passage that we go to when we talk about humility and and not being filled with yourself, uh, not having too much confidence in yourself. But I, I believe contextually what Paul is talking about there is that you need to have a proper and realistic assessment of what talents you have specifically, because that's what he's talking about in this whole paragraph. But then he goes on to say, but to think soberly, and here's the key to it, as God has dealt to each one a measure of of faith. So please appreciate God is the one who's doing the distributing. God made each of us, and he knows us better than anyone. He, He knows what we need in each season of our lives. Please understand and appreciate that. Now here's a real, real danger, I think, for the most of us. And that is to either look ahead or to look back at particular stages in our lives. The young person can easily think, you know, wait till I get older. And when I get more experience and when I have established more credibility and when I've had more doors of opportunity open to me, won't I be great then? Always looking forward to what I'm going to accomplish later in life. Now here's the danger of those of us who are older. The older person can easily look back on his, her life thinking, wasn't it great back then when I could do this, that, or the other? All those things that I could accomplish when I had my full physical health and and when everything was going for me, when I was in full strength. If you're a young person right now, remember that faith is taking the first step even when you cannot see the whole staircase, so what I'm asking you as a young person this morning is, is that you that you launch out and you start doing something and not just dreaming about doing something, trusting God to equip you every step of the way as you make forward progress in your Christian journey. Have that kind of faith in God, and remember it's nice to start well, but it's even better to finish well. Dr. Howard Hendricks liked to say when your memories are more exciting than your dreams that's when you've begun to die. I think he's right about that. You see the truth is you lack nothing to do what God wants you to do right now. I can remember in my early years thinking you know we if we as a church just had a bigger building or if we just had more members, we had more workers, or if I could just preach better, if I just had more experience, and it seemed that there was always something on my list that I either didn't have or that I couldn't do. And I was too focused on my limitations, and I'll admit that. I was focused on my limitations and not on God's limitless power to work in even a broken vessel like me. But there was always some reason when I couldn't feel good about myself or about what I was doing with my life. And if any of us, and I mean myself included, if we don't change our thoughts and if we don't learn to focus on what matters most, then we're going to put some very real limits on what we can do for God and more important, what God can do in us and through us. I'm just saying that each of us needs to realize that we have what we need at this moment for the season of life that we're in right now. We have, the, we have the strength that we need for today. Now, it may not be enough strength for what we have to deal with tomorrow, but that's okay. When tomorrow comes, God will give us strength to handle whatever challenges that, that day may bring. But we have the talents, and we have the qualifications, and we have the experience that we need for right now, this moment in our lives. And, and here's, where, here's where the discontentment may set in. And I want to make sure that I include this proviso It may not be as much as what other people have, but that's okay. If you're anything like me, then that's scary. But anyway, as an aside, if you're anything like me, the real danger comes when you begin to compare what you have with what others have. Even if you've gotten to some level of contentment. You can destroy that contentment in one fell swoop by looking around and seeing someone else who has a nicer car or who lives in a finer neighborhood, who has better behaving children or whatever it is. We can look at others and we can make those comparisons and all of a sudden we're no longer content in our lives. I want to remind you that we're not competing with anyone else. We don't have to achieve anyone else at their best. We just have to work on giving God our best. And we're really competing with ourselves to become the best us that we can possibly be. Now, if you grow despondent about your lack of worldly credentials, then you need to spend some time in Paul's world, especially by reading Galatians chapter 1. Paul, who I remind you wrote about half of the books of the New Testament, wrote this in verses 11 and 12 in the opening chapter of his letter to the Galatians. But I make known to you, brethren, Paul writes... That the gospel which was preached by me was not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. One version of that reads, I was not appointed by any group or by human authority, but from God who raised Jesus from the dead. You see, not everybody in the world is going to approve of you, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody is going to approve of the way that you live your life, but that's okay. Don't worry about that. If God approves of you, then that's what you're striving for, not the approval of man. And Paul made it clear in Galatians chapter 1 that he didn't get his authority and he didn't get his message from any person. He got it from from God himself, and that's what we need to be focusing on. You see, people don't determine your destiny. People cannot stop God's plan for your life. When you come to the end of your life, you don't have to answer to any human being. You and I will only answer to Almighty God. And there is some comfort and consolation in knowing that. It's easy to feel that way about our possessions, too, if we don't change our focus. But, Brother Randy, all I've got is this old clunker of a car, and I'm depressed. Well, sharpen your focus. Change your perspective. Have a new attitude and say, this old car is all I need for right now. It still gets me from point A to point B most of the time. And as long as God is on his throne directing my steps, when I need more, he'll give me more. Well, only have this one friend. Turn it around. Instead, say, this one friend is all I need for right now. And when God sees that I need more friends, then he will, he will provide them for me. All I have is just this low-level, low-paying job. Well, tell yourself that's all I need right now. When it's time for me to be promoted, I'll be promoted. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep giving my best right where I am. I challenge you to look at especially some of those great Old Testament characters and see how that they operated their lives and see what kind of perspective they had on life i'm thinking right now especially of joseph and daniel and if you haven't read their stories the biblical account of their lives i would encourage you to do that again this afternoon and 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 you can be like those two men daniel and joseph and you can show by your approach to your job and, and your approach to life that you are a person of faith And you can do the very best you can right where you are and know that in God's own good time, you'll be promoted. Those men were. You see, God didn't bless them because they were promoted. They were promoted because God blessed them and because they were already faithful in what they had and in what they were doing. And we need to learn a New Testament application of that Old Testament lesson. We need to decide, I'm going to be the very best whatever I can be at this moment in my life, right where I am, and if God wants me promoted, then he'll promote me. But let me tell you, that's an empowering way to live, to live by faith and not by fear. So you don't spend your time making excuses. You don't spend the precious moments of your life going around feeling short-changed. The moment you change your focus to a faith focus, your life will change. Your thinking will change. And the Bible says when your thinking change, that's when your behavior and your whole life changes. You'll live better. And here's maybe the biggest what if of all. We've already touched on it, but I want to touch on it one more time. If I just had more money. We've got two options as I see it. We can either focus on what we don't have and what we don't have the money to buy. Or we can be grateful, and I mean sincerely grateful to God for what we do have and for what we can buy. Now, this is not a health and wealth approach to life that I'm preaching here. This is just claiming the promises of God. And I know we looked at it last week, but, but it plugs right in here to this lesson, so I want to look at it again today, and maybe, maybe we'll notice it this time. Luke six thirty eight. These are the words of the Lord himself. Give. And it will be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaking together, running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you. That's just that's just the Lord's reminder that you can't outgive God. The more you give to help the lives and to bless the lives of others, the more God is going to give back into your storehouse. He's going to provide for you. again, there are a lot of guys that take that to the extreme, and that's why we call it the health and wealth philosophy. But there's nowhere in Scripture says that if you follow Jesus, everything is going to go swimmingly. But this passage does say, according to what we do in helping and serving others, God will then give back to us. That's what the passage says. If that's not what it says, I have no clue as to what it means. He is promising us in this life, For this season of our lives, I will bless you with what you need right now at this moment. But I don't have enough money to give on the Lord's Day when the contribution basket comes by, and so that's why I observe the Passover. Watch this. Give anyway. Give something, and then you'll be surprised... And how much more you you get and how much more God will bless your life when you give sacrificially. And you learn to take the focus off of yourself and to place that on service to others. Here's the biblical principle. If you'll just be faithful where you are, knowing that you have exactly what you need for the season of life that you're in, then God God will get you to where you're supposed to be. Let me illustrate that biblically and then we're through with this study. In the book of 2 Samuel, feel free to turn there. If you're looking for a specific chapter to lock in on, look for chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 is the story of how King David got off course with his life. You know the account. The prophet Nathan had been given a very difficult visitation assignment. I mean, man, how would you like to have gotten that visitation card? Nathan is told, I want you to go to David, the king, by the way, and to tell him that he's a guilty man. Tell him that he is guilty of both adultery and murder. Nathan would have loved to have turned down that visitation card, I guarantee you. But he was a man of courage, and he accepted that, and he did that. And in doing so, he told uh, by God to go to the king, and I want you to correct him. And and in doing that, he reminded David of what, what God had brought him through. Now, that's a very interesting thing that the Bible includes for us. He didn't just go to him and said, You are the man. That's, no, there was a lot of rhetoric that went on before he got to that point. And a part of that rhetoric was Nathan, or God, through Nathan, reminding David of how good God had been to David all these years. And how that God had provided everything that he needed and how they did experience God's goodness, his favor, his protections, his his provisions, his healing down through the years. And then God made a very interesting statement through Nathan to David. It's verse 8 of chapter 12. David, if it had not been enough, are you listening church? Please listen to this with your heart as well as with your ears. If it had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more was there ever a time in your life when I didn't take care of you and if David had been honest he would have said no the Lord there really wasn't and if ever there was a time that you needed more I would have given you much much more in other words David looking back over your life if you were ever lacking if you ever needed more wisdom more favor more protection more finances God would have given it to you And that tells me that we have what we need right now, exactly what we need to fulfill our God-given destiny with our lives as well. And in light of Matthew 6.33, the moment it becomes insufficient is the exact moment when God will provide more. The passage doesn't say, I remind you, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and most of these things will be provided for you. It said all these material things will be provided for you if you really are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a wonderful way to live and the assurance that God is giving us everything, everything that we need to make it. But remember John 10.10 does not promise a life of abundance. What it does promise is the abundant life. And so if you're experiencing hard times right now, don't be discouraged thinking that it's never going to work out when you really need it when, it, when you really need it, it will not be one second late. God said to David, if it's, if it's ever not enough, you can count on me. I will always be there to give you more. And don't ever forget that Romans eight twenty eight is still in the Bible. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you're wondering right now when or if your situation is ever going to turn around, If you're wondering if you're ever going to to get that good break, then quit being stressed about it. God knows what you need. He knows when you need it. Surprise, surprise. He knows where you live. You think Amazon can find your house. God knows right where you live. And he knows what room you're in. He knows how to get it to you. And he will do it. He will take care of it. He will move heaven and earth to make sure that his people are taken care of. As long as you are honoring God by the way you live. Remember the passage says, to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That is an important qualification. That level of providential care is not given to all of humanity, but only to God's people. Don't miss that. So if you're thinking, well, I want that promise, well, duh, become one of his people. And then you will get that promise. That will be a part of the package that God will give to you as one of his people. So as long as you're serving him and doing your dead level best to live for him every day of your life, what you need, and I mean what you really need, God will provide. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That grand old hymn that we haven't sung in a long, long time, by the way, God moves in a mysterious way, was written by William Cooper, who was an English poet in the 1700s and also happened to be a personal friend of John Newton. That You probably recognize that name better as the man who wrote Amazing Grace. What you may not know is that Cooper struggled all of his life with clinical depression. And one day, at his very lowest, physically depleted, mentally exhausted, Cooper called for a carriage... Remember, this was the 1700s. And he ordered the driver to take him to the Ouse River, three miles away, where he planned to throw himself into the water and commit suicide. The driver, who picked up on the state of mind of his passenger, breathed a prayer of thanks when a thick fog enveloped the area. He purposely lost his way in the dense fog, driving up one road down another as Cooper fell into a deep sleep, back in the carriage several hours passed with the driver just just going in circles letting his passenger rest and finally he returned him to his home and he parked in front of the door and cooper paid his woke up and and uh from a deep sleep and said we're back home how's that and the driver's simple reply was got lost in the fog sir sorry cooper paid his fare went inside and pondered how that he had been spared from harming himself by the merciful providence of God and by the compassion of that driver. That same evening in 1774, his 43rd year of life, reflecting on his narrow escape, he sat down and he wrote this autobiographical hymn. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take the clouds you so much dread or big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. And judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God is His own interpreter, and He will make it plain. This morning, you can receive every provision that God has to offer his blessed people by becoming his child and if you're not a child of God this morning our encouragement to you is to make this the moment in your life when you turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ turn your back on sin and sincere repentance confess Jesus as God's son and be baptized to start your life over again and God will take care of you while we stand while we sing bring Christ your broken life, so marred by sin. He will create anew, make whole again. Your empty, wasted